kind of rough when you're working in multiple languages. You find out that you become really dumb in every language. <laughs> uh, all of a sudden, all the smart words that you've ever known, they just kind of, you lose them. <laughs> and uh, anyways, it's... Uh, this is how we've had to operate for many years now. And uh, we find out that we can't speak any one language well. <laughs> so if you hear me start to stumble and stutter, it's because I'm I'm trying to speak English, but the thoughts are in Russian. <laughs> so anyways, let's open our Bibles to the book of Third John. We've been living overseas for uh, 14 years, and uh, it's been a bit of an adjustment coming back home and trying to re-enter the grid. <laughs> uh, nobody wants to uh, nobody wants to give you car insurance because you don't you don't have a record. Like, wait, isn't that a good thing? Shouldn't it be really cheap? <laughs> but uh, you know, just step by step, it's like, well, you can't do that. You haven't done it. I'm like, well, yeah, I have. It's just been a while. <laughs> So anyways, uh, life's been kind of interesting. But you know, living, uh, living as a missionary overseas for the last uh, 14 years, we've seen a lot of things going on in the name of missions. Some of them are very good. Some of them are very focused. Some of them are very misguided. And uh, you come across people that uh, show up on the mission field. They've, they've spent a year or two years trying to raise their support. They get there, and they're kind of lost. They're like, well, now what? And we were so focused on getting there that we had no plan once we arrived. And that's been kind of disheartening. But uh, we've seen some really good things take place as well. And, uh, uh, you know, looking back at these, especially these, eight, these last eight years, um, basically what we had been doing is, well, we, we tried to establish a, uh, a service in Istanbul, and we, we kept a small group constant. Uh, we would see people saved, we'd disciple them, and we'd deport them because they're there illegally. So we knew that we were never going to establish a church in Istanbul. But what we were able to see was we were able to see 15 churches established in Central Asia through the joint effort of our national church planters that we were helping to learn to establish churches, those that we were seeing saved, those that they were seeing saved, and bringing them together. And uh, it, uh, you know, it's, it, it was something that if I had to sit down and try to plan it, it would have never worked. <laughs> but uh, God's ways are not our ways. And uh, so this is kind of the, uh, the trend and how we're going to try to focus our efforts in all of Central Asia at this point. And uh, along those lines, what we need to uh, really understand is the basis for mission support. Over uh, over just the last probably three or four years, we've seen a surge in uh, tent making missions, and uh, that's that's both good and it's uh, it's kind of troublesome on different levels. Uh, I I would love to have found a way to do that and to make it work, but in my situation, I realized that it was never going to happen. I know uh, several families that showed up in Turkey. They had uh, just a little bit of support, and they came to Turkey. They started to work a job, but they realized something very quickly, and that is is that uh, you don't have an eight-hour eight work day, and you don't have a 40-hour work week. You've got an 80-hour work week. And uh, so these, these poor uh, uh, missionaries that got there, and they were so wrapped up in their jobs 
that even their families begin to suffer. And uh, you know, it's, there's got to be some sort of a, uh, a balance that we can come to. Well, anyways, as I was working through all these issues and thinking about these things, and uh, I came to the book of Third John, and I think we see some, some really good principles here. Now we come to Third John, and we see that John was writing to, uh, to Gaius. And uh, Gaius, he was one that was very familiar with missionary activity, missionary work. He traveled with the Apostle Paul, at least at some point. He was there when, uh, when they were arrested in Ephesus. Now, living in Turkey has given me a great opportunity to go to the seven churches of Asia Minor and to see these places. I was able to travel to uh, Iconium and uh, Cappadocia and see these places. I've I been in Galatia and uh, been able to see all these places because they're only a $20 bus ride. And uh, it, uh, you know, it gave me a lot of good opportunities. Well, as, as I went into, into Ephesus, I saw the, uh, the stadium where Gaius was drug into with the uprising there. So he had been through all of this, and now John is writing to him. And I'd like to just start here. Well, let's start with verse 1. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. Well, let me just say here, he's not preaching prosperity theology. What he's doing is he's using the common greeting of the day. Just as we say, I, I wish you, well, maybe we don't say that so much here in America, but in, in uh, Central Asia, Russia, first thing you do when you see somebody is you wish them good health because that's a major issue in those parts of the world. So we move on, and uh, this is really getting into the meat here in verse 3. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to the strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. Because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such, that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, pratting against us with malicious words, and not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that they would, and casteth them out of the church. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God." Let's let's uh, let's pray, and uh, we'll get into our morning message. Our Father, we thank you for your love to us. We thank you, Father, for the freedom that we have to know that we can come gather together without fear of the government that may come come in and disrupt, haul us away, imprison us. We thank you for the freedom that we have to gather together, not worrying that our neighbors will find out and will persecute us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to put aside the, uh, the worries of this life, that you would help us to put aside the uh, distractions that fall upon us, to focus upon your word and your love to us, Father, that we would grow in our faith and walk with you today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, John wrote to Gaius, and uh, the first thing we see here is he's talking about this good report that Gaius had. He was talking about this tremendous good testimony that he had when it uh, when his name was spoken. And uh, we look at this and we see that, uh, well, verse 3, he said, I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee. So basically what we have is we have people who are going out and coming back and they're going on these on these short missionary excursions. They're going, they're evangelizing, they're sharing the gospel, they're, uh, they're baptizing, they're discipling, and they come back and they're giving John report in the church. Much as we're doing today. And John said, I have great joy when I hear that you're still standing for the truth. You know, this is a day and age where we see people falling from the truth on the right and on the left. And it's always, it's always kind of this, this moment of pause when you ask somebody who has just been somewhere, well, how is so-and-so doing? And you're, you're sitting there hoping in the back of your mind, Lord, please let him be standing faithful. And the word comes back, either he's been faithful and it's a joyous occasion, or he's fallen for some sin. And it's kind of a hush matter, and it's a disgrace. And we think, well, now what? Let's, let's change the subject. Well, John was in the situation. He said, I praise God because I see the, the brethren are coming back. They're telling me of your love. They're telling me of your good works. They're telling me how you're standing for the truth. He had this faithfulness walking in the truth. I believe that this was this was coming from his heart. It was it was continuously filled with the love of God, and because of that fact, it was always overflowing with this same love to those who were coming in, those who were sacrificing for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and his love was abounding. One of the most difficult things that I've had to do these last eight years—I'll be honest—I uh, I am an American. If I was over there and somebody cut my vein, it would be bleeding red, white, and blue. One of the hardest things I had to do was put aside my patriotism, swallow my love for my country, swallow my love for Israel to work amongst the Muslim nations and try to find a way to love the unlovely. And this was a daily battle. Every day when I got ready to walk out the door, I had to stop, I had to spend time in the Word of God, I had to spend time praying, searching my own heart, filling up my own life with God's love, so that when I walked out that door, rather than spewing hatred, I'd be spewing the love of God. This was one of the daily battles that I was faced with, I'm still faced with. I went back, uh, we were home for the summer, we went back for a short trip to to Istanbul. When I got there, I found uh, several high-rises that used to be normal, and now they've painted the uh, the entire side with the Israeli uh, map colored in with Palestinian colors. And, uh, you know, every everybody, literally everybody I talked to in this last trip, when I tried to share the gospel with them, they would try to turn the matter towards Israel. I found out that just in uh, just in this last year, uh, Turkey's disdain for Israel has grown higher than that of Iran's. And so everywhere I go, I'm being constantly, I'm having this thrown in my face. And I had to take time and say, whoa, stop. I'm not here to talk about Israel. I'm not here to talk about America. I'm here to talk to you about Jesus Christ who died for you. 
But there's this constant battle to deal with my own life first. To keep my own life so filled with the love of Christ and the truth of the gospel that it would be overflowing. We look at Gaius, and I believe that he had this in his own life, as we see how John was commending him. I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth, the constant truth that was coming, that is in thee. And as thou walk in the truth, it was overflowing. It was a constant thing. Well, he saw this faithfulness. Verse, uh, verse four, he said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children, thy children walk in truth. What a joy it is to have been serving the Lord in this part of the world for so long. And, uh, uh, you, you've asked me this morning in Sunday school about the relationship of Russia and Ukraine and how that affects everything. That affects absolutely everything. We've got, uh, we've got good brethren in Russia that have quit talking to us because we know, they know that we're standing with Ukraine. We saw churches, as this erupted, uh, we saw churches that had Russian believers, Ukrainian believers, and a split go right down the middle of the churches because these Russians were standing with Russia and Ukrainians were standing for their own country. And it, it began to divide churches. It began to uh, really hurt. But you know, I still have tremendous joy when I, uh, I communicate with Stas from time to time back in Siberia who became the pastor when I left those two churches. He's doing a tremendous job. His politics stinks, <laughs> but he's doing a tremendous job with the gospel. And so we try to divide ourselves from that, uh, from that inner battle, but you know what? There's great joy when we see that he's walking and standing for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's reaching the neighborhood with the gospel. Well, uh, John, he had the same joy. Verse 5, he said, Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. Now we come upon this verse, and he's talking about his faithfulness to the brethren. Again, these were the men who were going forth, taking the gospel to these unreached places. They were the ones who were going and establishing churches. And they were going, and they would, they would uh, inevitably they would search out the believers in the region. And John said, I, I, I commend your faithfulness. It was a spiritual service, part of his worship to God. He said, you have done faithfully what you do to the brethren. Now, uh, I, I briefly mentioned this morning that when I lived in Siberia, I rarely got any guests. Uh, I did have Brother Ron Brewer come a few times, and I couldn't believe he came twice. He came the first time, and it was June. The uh, The frost was just, it was like the middle of June. The frost was just coming out of the ground. And uh, he said, uh, how about we go drive down this trail here by the river? I said, well, it's probably a little bit early yet. And uh, he said, "Oh, come on, you can do it. You've got a, you've got a four-wheel drive. You've got a, you've got a winch on the front. We're okay. I said, yeah, I don't know. This is still the tundra, and it's still frost coming out of the ground. Well, he, uh, he, he persuaded me. We went. We made it about 300 yards, and I dr- sunk my truck in the tundra all the way up to the hood. <laughs> and uh, we sat there for 12 hours, and he finally he had to walk back through the cloud of mosquitoes in the tundra. And uh, I, I kept the truck running. I tried to pull it out with, a, with the winch on a, on a uh, tamarack tree. 
And uh, tamaracks in the tundra, they don't have much for root systems. <laughs> Started to pull, the tree fell on my truck, and there I sat. And uh, I had a Leatherman. I should submit this story because I, you know, for the next 10 hours, I'm cutting through this uh, this tamarack with my Leatherman. <laughs> finally got it off the truck, and uh, finally a couple of uh, uh, six-wheel drive semis came, and they were just monkeying around in the mud. And so it took two of them to pull me out of there. And uh, I, I literally had mud this thick in the bottom of my, the entire truck. It was it was great. <laughs> uh, I was pretty proud of it when I got it back to town. Everyone's like, "Wow, <laughs> that's that's the redneck in me." <laughs> so, uh, anyways, how did I get on that? <laughs> uh, we're we're talking about missionaries coming through and uh, you know uh, trying to treat them well. Well, anyways, I, apart from Ron Brewer, and that, that's why I couldn't believe he came twice, because after that, you know, he didn't have any blood left. By the time he got home, all the mosquitoes had him so bad. But anyways, uh, that's the two visitors that I had in Siberia. We moved to Istanbul, and our house was literally like a hotel. Every couple of days, there was somebody coming through. It's kind of the, it's kind of the crossroads of the Muslim world. And so we were constantly having missionaries coming out of Central Asia, national men, uh, national pastors coming out, needing a place to stay. And the first year we had a two-room apartment, and uh, we had 15 people packed in there most of the time, and I thought, we've got to do something about this. And uh, so we, uh, we bought a bigger place, and uh, then uh, that was packed out, so I thought, we've got to do something about this. So we, we bought a, two, a two-story apartment and uh, well we didn't buy it we rented it and actually our, our rent went way down because we moved to a different neighborhood and uh, anyways it was constantly full there was our, our house was like this revolving door of different missionaries different mission agencies coming in uh, they're just starting to break into the muslim world they want to stop off and they want to know well, how do you reach these muslims what do you do? How do you, how do you go about uh, uh, sharing the gospel in this, in this part of the world where they're so uh, antagonistic towards the gospel? And I say all this just to say that uh, it was a true labor of love, um, especially my wife's part. Uh, to me, it's no big deal. Uh, people come and go. You know, I, probably most of the time I forgot to tell her they were coming. <laughs> but to her, it was a, it was a completely different story. Well, John is commending Gaius. He said, what you do for the brethren, you do faithfully. We praise God for that. It's a labor of love. It's a part of his worship towards God. You know, we can take this same thing into our own lives. When we have, uh, when, when we, uh, when we have visiting speakers come through, when we have others come through, it's a labor of love to take time and to spend with them. John said, they come back and they're continuously speaking of your agape. They're continuously speaking about your self-sacrificing love towards them. Verse 6, he says, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church. It's not always easy to be hospitable to people. When we first got to Central Asia, we thought we had this hospitality thing down. We, uh, you know, I spent six years in Russia, and uh, their hospitality hospitality is, um, well, it's pretty non-existent. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, I'd spend a lot of time in Ukraine. Their hospitality is incredible. Uh, we get to center, We get to Turkey, 
And uh, we, were, we were showing hospitality to people. Next thing you know, we get this knock at the door at 3 in the morning. And I get up, and uh, here's, uh, here's Mohammed. He wants to come in and sit down and have a meal and talk. It's like, what are you, insane? It's 3 in the morning. Why aren't you sleeping? Well, they don't sleep there in the day, in the, at nighttime because it's too hot in the day. <laughs> and uh, so anyways, we, we had to start to learn that a knock could come at the door at any point, the day or night. And it means you better get up and you better make a, a nice meal and you better be ready to sit there and eat it and talk to them. And uh, hospitality took on a whole other level to us that we had never seen before. Remember the first time we went into uh, Turkmenistan, we went in to visit uh, one, uh, one church planner. He had nothing. At this point, we, uh, we weren't, uh, we weren't uh, helping him out. We weren't supporting him. This was the first uh, test run to see if this man was faithful, if he was somebody that we wanted to work with, if his doctrine lined up, if he was truly baptistic. And uh, went into the country, and we were, uh, we were expecting, you know, we were, we were going to uh, try to put all of our cost on ourselves. And we showed up at his door. Next thing I know, I, I look, and uh, he's gone. Where did he go? And his wife is there, and she's running here and there, and she's, she's cooking bread. They have to, to cook bread. They have this big tundir. They take uh, the leftover stalks of the cotton. They put it inside uh, this tundir. They set it on fire, and they're making up the, the dough. And then she uh, she flattened it all out into these round uh, loaves, like you can see back in the picture on our table. And then she kind of slaps it to the inside of the tundir, and it sticks to the wall. And she has to be completely covered head to toe because the fire is shooting up and it's going to burn all of her hair and her eyebrows and everything else. And uh, so she's making the bread and she's coming in and she's hot and she's sweating and she's talking to us. And I was like, well, where's your husband? And uh, she said, well, he's busy right now. So uh, I decided I'd walk out and I looked and sure enough, he was busy. He's out and back. He's killing all the rabbits. I'm like, well, what are you doing? He said, well, we have to have, we have to give you our best. So here he is. He's killing these rabbits and he's cooking up rabbit for us and, uh, we sat and we ate this massive breakfast. I mean, it was, it was incredible. And uh, we just finished that, and we're sitting there having tea, and tea is almost as big as the meal. Next thing you know, uh, he's gone, and he's out killing a couple more rabbits. I was like, whoa, whoa, stop. We still have three-quarters of these rabbits here. <laughs> and uh, you know, he was literally wiping out everything that he had to show hospitality. And that's the way uh, life is over there. So when I see this and I look at uh, I look at the Bible, uh, this may be a shock, but the Bible wasn't written in America in an American culture. It was written in a in an Eastern culture. There's a lot of similarities here when you t- when you uh, see uh, a man showing up at nighttime asking for bread. And what do you do? You get up and you get it for him. Uh, and the one who's not hospitable said, "Well, my children are asleep." John was commending Gaius for his hospitality. He was going way beyond what was comfortable to try to prepare the way for these ones who were sacrificing all for the sake of the gospel. Let's read verse 6 again. Which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. In other words, he said, you, you're bringing them forward. This is, this is, uh, you're bringing them forward as God himself would in this godly sort. He said, you're doing what's right. This is a tremendous example. Well, then we get to verse 7. He says, because that for his name's sake they went forth 
taking nothing of the Gentiles. These were these evangelists. These were these, uh, these missionaries. They were going forth. They could take nothing from the Gentiles. They went and they had to have support from the believers back home. He said, because of the name of Jesus Christ, they went forth. They knew that they wouldn't be able to have a job. They knew that they were going into some, some hostile territory where there's a good chance they're going to be beaten. There's a good chance they're going to be stoned. They're going forth for the sake of his name. And he said, I commend you because you're sending them forward in this godly manner. You're helping them on their way. How does this, how does this affect us? Obviously, there's, there's several levels. Lodging, food is on their way, uh, financial support. But you know, it goes way beyond this. Fellowship. Just sitting back and talking and, and uh, sharing what's on your heart. There was uh, several months back, I guess it's probably, eh, maybe it was even February of last year, Luda and I had hit this point in the ministry and uh, we're, we're uh, uh, it seemed like on every level we're being attacked. Uh, Ukraine was being invaded. Um, she was afraid of losing her family, afraid of losing everything in Ukraine. Uh, her church was having problems back there in Ukraine. And uh, we're, we're looking, and, and it just seemed like everything was stacked against us. And uh, as, as she would go out, she, every day, we, you know, we live in the middle of the city, 25 million people. Absolutely miserable for a country boy. And uh, every, every day, we, li- we live in this apartment building. Every day she's got to take the girls out and go play in the park. Well, she go to the park. She's attacked by Muslims. And she's already learned to deal with that. That's like no big deal anymore. But all of a sudden, those who were friendly to her started to attack her, uh, saying, well, you're a fascist. You're, you're a Nazi because this is the propaganda that Russia was putting out against Ukraine. To try to justify their invasion, and so here you had all these uh, all these women who were good friends of Luda's, who who had trusted Christ. They were from the former Soviet Union, but they uh, married uh, Turkish Muslims. She led them to Christ. They were her friends. All of a sudden, they're against her because Russia is invading Ukraine. And it came to a point where she said, "I can't anymore." She said, "I am not going outside. I'm not going to do anything. I'm staying here in the house." And the girls are going crazy. They're climbing the walls. They're, you know, they're, they're hanging out the windows of the seventh floor. And I'm thinking, we're going to lose all three of them. And uh, it, uh, it just seemed like on every, every angle we're being attacked. And uh, you know, it, it, was, it was tough. There was one pastor from, uh, from Pennsylvania. He's, he's part of our mission board. Uh, he's on the, he sits on the board of our mission board. And he realized that we were having a rough time. So he decided to... to uh, uh, asked his church to send him, and they, they did. They came, and he spent three days with us. I can't tell you the encouragement that that was when he came and just spent three days just talking with us, just helping us work through these issues. I believe that this is a part of what John was commending Gaius. He said, you have done faithfully this, sending them forward, pushing them forward on their way, underwriting their mission, taking care of their needs, which goes way beyond financial support, prayer and companionship. And I want to commend you as well. You've done a tremendous job of that. Well, John is looking at Gaius and saying, this is great. He has been a faithful witness. He has been a faithful testimony. He said, these men, these men were taking, uh, taking the gospel for, for the sake of, of God's name. 
Why did they go out? Because they knew that there was something greater than themselves that had to be proclaimed throughout the world. You know, do we do we look at our salvation in that light? So many times, I uh, you know, I, I look at it myself and I think, well, how, why is it that it seems like I have witnessed so little today? And I begin to uh, I begin to evaluate my life, and I think, you know, the reason is is because my love for my God has begun to wane, and so therefore, the the, uh, his, the greatness of His name has also shifted down a level or two in my life, and all of a sudden, it's not that burning desire that it once was. John said that they went forward for the sake of his name, to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ throughout the heathen world. They took nothing from the heathen. This word uh, is ethnikos, so right away you see that you know this is where we get our ethnic idea. They were not working the crowds. They were not trying to make money off of those that they went to serve. There were those who did that in these days. You can think back to, I believe it's Acts chapter probably 6, where you see uh, the seven sons of Sceva. These guys, are, they're going, they, they start to cast out demons, they, they start to publicize, hey, if you have a problem, if you have a sickness, come to us, we'll, we'll heal you, we'll fix you. And they're making money off of those who are hurting. And they get this one, and the demon says, uh, Paul, I know, Jesus Christ, I know, but who are you? And it overpowered them. And they ran off naked and bleeding. And uh, at the end of the story, the gospel of Jesus Christ grew tremendously because everybody saw and heard what took place. These were the guys who were the traveling circus, <laughs> trying to make a dollar off of those who were hurting. We've got them today. We've got them in our country. We've got them in Central Asia. But John said, those who are going forth for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ are not participating in this money-making scheme. He said, we must receive them, undertake them, lift up, Underwrite, take responsibility for. In short, we could say to be their fellow laborers. Well, this is the good, the uh, the good testimony. Let's look at the bad testimony in the same uh, in the same passage, starting in verse nine. John commended Gaius. He said, "Here is a great a great report. Here is a great example." Then he gets to verse nine. He said, "Here is the bad example." I wrote unto the church, but Diophris who loves to have the preeminence among them, receives us not. Uh, you know what, I think I'll just say this guy from now on because it's kind of hard for me to say. <laughs> he said, this guy wants the preeminence. He loves to have the preeminence. What does that, uh, what does that mean? He loves to have the preeminence. Right away I see a guy who's got a big pride problem. Why does he want the preeminence? Because he wants everybody to look at me. Look what I've done. Look who I am. Look what I can do. He's got this big pride problem. He's got this, this uh, tremendous arrogance. He wants to walk in the room and everybody kind of, oh, there he is. Well, John said, he doesn't accept us. I wrote in the church, but Diaphras, who loves to have the preeminence among them, receives us not. So he wants the preeminence. He doesn't want to accept the apostles. He doesn't want to accept uh, the traveling missionaries or evangelists. Verse 10, 
Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, not content therewith, neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them, and casteth them out of the church. So he said, okay, here's this guy. He, he's, he's this prideful guy who wants the preeminence in the church. He wants the preeminence in the country. He wants to, you know, this is, this is something that I believe every missionary has to deal with, is that we are not God's gift to the world. That God can accomplish things that don't happen through us. And I find that all the time where I'm, especially with my uh, social media, I'm finding, I'm finding all these scattered people throughout the Muslim world that came to Christ through some means. And I think, how in the world did that ever happen? And I continue to communicate with them. I see they are absolutely, truly born again. This man here, he wanted the preeminence. He wanted to say, there's nobody doing anything but me. He said, this is all about me. He was this prideful guy. Uh, John said, he doesn't accept us. Verse 10, he said, he talks against us. When he said he talks against us, he's talking against the ministers. He's talking against the pastors. He's talking against the missionaries. He's talking against missions. He said he had a negative spirit. You know people with negative spirits? Boy, that's rough. That's... uh. You see somebody who's got a negative spirit, and boy, they can really quench the, the working of the Holy Spirit if you let them. He said he was uncontent. He rejected missions. He, re, he forbid them to come into the church. And John said, here is a terrible example so that you can look at the two and see a beautiful example in Gaius and this terrible example in Diotrephus. I was reading one commentary in preparation for this. It was kind of funny, so I'll share the story with you. The uh, the commentary uh, commentator he said that he was he was uh, doing a um, a character study on this man, and uh, he had to uh, he was he was uh, trying to become a um, well he was candidating at a church, and so the church asked for a character study and several other things to look at and to uh, to. Um, uh, you know, decide if if he's somebody that they really wanted to candidate or not. So he he had this uh, character study of 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 uh, Diotrephus. So he he uh, he finished that off and he sent it in. And he said he uh, immediately he heard from three of the deacons asking why he was writing against them. <laughs> uh, you know, here's somebody who's uh, negative, talks against a pastor, <laughs> uh, uncontent, rejects missions, rejects missionaries. Well, you know, we can laugh about that, but the truth is, is that there are churches that have these. It's it's really interesting to travel around and get into as many churches as missionaries do. Typically, when we walk through the door, you can feel the spirit of what that church is going to be like. You can tell if that if that church is alive and thriving or if they're struggling, or if they're downright dead. There was a, there was a church that I went to on deputation, and uh, I got there, and uh, I walked in the door, and it just had that feeling, boy, this church has got problems. And I didn't know what the problems were. And, 
it was uh, it was the first night, and I'm setting up, and there was a lot of people in there, and nobody wanted to talk to me, which is fine. I don't blame them. <laughs> but uh, as as uh, as as the week began to develop, and I was there for a full week, I began to realize that there was a there was a terrible negative spirit within the entire church. And I think it was about day three. I heard uh, I heard one of the deacons over in the corner talking about how he hated missions conference and how he hated missionaries and how he didn't want anything to do with that week, but he had to be there because he was a deacon. And I thought, well, here's part of the problem. <laughs> and then uh, then I overheard the pastor talking about how he was glad that there was somebody to come and speak because uh, he was going to take the other two days off and leave. And, uh, you know, as I'm sitting there hearing this, it doesn't, I don't, I don't, uh, I do not mind coming and speaking for somebody when they need someone to do that. And, uh, uh, but you know, when I heard this coming from all these different directions, and I saw the deadness of the church, right away it was easy to realize why. This church had a complete disconnect from what God wanted to accomplish throughout the world. See, if there's one thing that God loves, it's his name. We look through the Old Testament, we see that he made a name for himself as he brought Israel out of Egypt. And we look and we see the things that he does for his name's sake. And we look at these who are going forth for the sake of his name. You see, God wants his name to be proclaimed throughout the world. And that starts right here in our local church. And I look and I, I love coming to every church and I love to see the potential. And I love to see the youth and I love to see the children and I love to think and pray about who's going to be that next missionary to be sent from this local church. Do you have some that you're preparing even now? God wants his name to be proclaimed throughout the world. We've got tremendous example in Gaius. We've got a terrible example in Diotrephus. Who are we going to follow? Our Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for...